Would you pray with me before we jump into the word this morning? Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We pray you'd open our hearts and our minds this morning to hear from you, both through your word and as we come later to celebrate your death and resurrection at this table, Father, that you would minister to us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I've picked a, a smaller chunk of, of Acts for this morning. We're continuing on in our Acts series, but this is a really kind of unique moment in the story because, again, the action sort of pauses, and we're, we're gathered together now with the early church, and we see what, what their praying is like. And I want to think about prayer this morning. What makes up our prayers? Is, are our prayers primarily just kind of a help me, help me, God, you know, in the moment when things aren't great? Or a God, please do this, do that most of the time? Or sometimes our prayer lives or our lives of prayer are actually a source of, of um, maybe grief for us because we, it can often feel like maybe we're not doing it right or we're not doing it enough or we don't feel we've made it a priority in the way that we should. And we know that, and yet it's hard to sometimes create new habits, new habits of prayer. And I want to just encourage us this morning, wherever you're at in your walk with God, or maybe not a walk with God, maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, but you're in church this morning, I want to encourage each of us to make prayer, spending time with God, listening to God, conversing with God, to make that a priority in our lives. We all know that. If you're a Christian, you know that. But I just want to encourage us again to really press into that. I have found in my own life, when I don't take just a quiet time with God in prayer or in Scripture, my, my attitude gets worse. My tendency to, to sin goes up. Sometimes my day's just rotten, and I'm like, what's wrong with this day? It's just... It's just brutal. I'm in a terrible mood, you know? I'm like, I didn't, I just ignored God all morning. I was too busy doing other church stuff that I didn't even spend time with him. And I'm the pastor for crying out loud, you know? What was I doing? I tend to rely on myself more, I find, if I don't give that time to God. I try and just sort of push through on my own strength, and usually that doesn't go well, right? My flesh starts to get prideful and I also tend to get pretty distracted. Do you guys get distracted? I get distracted by stuff. Suddenly I'm off working on something or watching a video on YouTube, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? What's even happening right now? Or it's in the evening, and the kids have gone down to bed, and, and you know, like I've done, I usually I do the dishes at night, and then I, I'm just sort of kind of out of it. I got nothing to give. And instead of maybe turning my attention to the Word or spending time with Sarah, well, I just kind of, I just kind of have a blah evening. And a lot of that stems from just trying to make it by on my own, trying to just push through on my own strength. I'm kind of a mess. But when I make time with God a central thing, and this isn't true just for me, this is true for all of us, then we can rest in the assurance again of who he is and of who we are in him. And instead of getting kind of lost in maybe the busyness of life or in kind of complacent about life and we get kind of lazy, instead we have a better sense of, of what life is about and what God's calling me to do in life. 
but that stems out of a relationship with God. I know also I, if I've spent time with the Lord, there's just a better sense of discernment through my week. When issues show up, I can kind of, there's just a, a better ability to kind of tell what's going on or what's underneath that. And I can just, I just, there's a better sense of God's wisdom and grace in my life if I take that time to spend with him. And so learning to pray, to spend time with God, and this is worth noting, is something all of us can learn to do or learn to grow in, to do better. It's not as though some are just predisposed to better spending time with God and the rest of us aren't, right? It's not like that. It's something you can actually grow in. It's something that we can all be more capable of, and it's something God invites all of us into. And so here in this passage this morning, quite often in Acts we'll we'll read that the apostles prayed. We know they're praying, you know, here and there. But here we actually get an example of what they prayed, how they prayed. And so I want to just kind of zone in on this and ask, what can we learn from their praying that can help us in our own learning to pray, in our own lives of praying? So let's, let's check it out. First, first thing we need to remember is just the context of this passage. Peter and James, James, Peter and John, had been arrested and jailed because they were proclaiming the gospel in the temple grounds. If you were here last week or you listened to the sermon last week, that was what we discussed. And the temple guard and the Sadducees were really annoyed about that because they're kind of causing a disturbance where they're sort of in control, right? And the Sadducees in particular are put out because they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus and the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. And so they arrest them and then there's a hearing. And during that hearing... Peter proclaims that the healing of the lame man in the temple came through the power of the name of Jesus Christ, whom the leaders, the people who are now arresting them and confronting them, they were complicit in crucifying, but whom God now raised from the dead. And so the leaders threatened them, but because the crowds are so excited because this lame fellow was healed, they're like, well, we can't really... the crowd's not on our side, so I guess we'll just sort of threaten them as best as we can and let them go. And now Peter and John are back with the early church, having just come from that moment, right? Just been released, and now they're heading back to their friends. And so the first thing I just want to point out for us is that our response to opposition or our response to trouble or our response to difficulty in life or our response even to Um, moments where we are maybe discriminated or harassed or ridiculed for our faith, those moments where we encounter trouble, the response for us as Christians is to pray. And not just maybe pray on our own, but to gather with others that we can join our hearts with and pray together. I like that Peter and John, they don't tell the church, hey, we just had this rough time with these guys. So let's all, like, grab the toilet paper, grab the eggs. We're going over to that Sadducee's house, and we're just going to give it to him, right? We're going to find his car, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wrap it up in toilet paper. We're going to TP the whole place, right? They, they don't do that. They don't incite rebellion, right? What do they do? They say, we're, we're going to pray about it. This is obviously bigger than us. We're going to pray about it. My guess is, too, in the way of Jesus, they probably prayed for the ones that had a them. They probably prayed for their enemies, right? 
And so when difficulties come as a result of being where God has put us, we need to let prayer be our first priority and our first response. And I said this last week as well. Sometimes it's easy when trouble comes to think, where's God in that? Like as though the trouble is the sign that maybe God's not present in this thing that's happening in my life. But it seems from a biblical perspective that quite often when we are trying to follow God and listen to him, trouble does show up. And so when trouble shows up, it's not a matter of saying, oh, God abandoned me. It's probably a matter of saying, okay, I'm trying to live this faithfully and well, and there's some opposition to it, and that might mean I'm right where God has called me to be. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, someone's, you know, there's trouble. Oh, definite, that's God's stamp of approval, you know. But there's a discernment there that often as we seek to live for Jesus, there is opposition. And when trouble comes... Uh, or in this case, actual sort of persecution comes, of course, what's the response is to pray together. So that's the first thing I wanted to mention, just again from the context. But what do they actually pray? Look at verses 24 to 30. Especially the end of 24. When they heard it, they lifted, when they heard it, when they get the response, you know, when they hear what's happened, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they move on in verse 25 right away to be quoting David. But notice the first thing they do is they start to pray Scripture. They start praying Scripture, and they start praying Scripture in light of Jesus. We're going to see this in a minute. In light of Jesus and who he is, and in light of Scripture and Jesus, they then apply the Bible to their own present situation. The first thing, though, is they start praying Scripture. And not in the way that they sort of just claim promises. Not in a way that they kind of go, God wants me to be wealthy or something, and I'm just going to kind of claim a scripture, a random verse about God giving me prosperity. You know, it's not kind of weird and manipulative like that. They're praying scripture in that they are praying the words and truths of scripture as the content of their prayer and applying that to their own lives. So this passage here, the Sovereign Lord bit, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth, it's almost a direct quote of Psalm 146.6. Basically, they're appealing to God as their creator, as sovereign over all, because if God's sovereign over all, he can help those who are oppressed. If God is truly God, then he can deal with this situation. There's also an echo here of Nehemiah, Chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, You alone are God. You made the heavens and the earth. And it could be, could be, not necessarily, but it could be, and I think it's interesting, that by echoing Nehemiah, these early Christians are remembering and perhaps putting themselves in Nehemiah's shoes, what happened to Nehemiah and applying it in their own lives. And Nehemiah The Jewish exiles are coming back from Babylon, back to their home, and they realize they're the remnant of Israel. They're who's left over. They're trying to live out faithfully to be true Israel. And there is this sense that in echoing Nehemiah, it could be that the early church is also realizing, hey, we're like exiles too. We're also trying to live out our identity as a true remnant of Israel. 
And so in this way, again, they are distinguishing themselves as, as, a, as a sort of a new reconstituted Israel as opposed to what the Sadducees think Israel is supposed to look like, right? And they're sort of setting up that distinction. The prayer also echoes Hezekiah in Isaiah 37. Hezekiah asks God, the sovereign creator of all, to deliver God's people from the army of Sennacherib. And likewise, here the disciples are praying for God's deliverance from the threats of those that would conspire against them. So even in that one verse, there's lots of echoes through the Bible of these various moments where people have called out to God, right? And then shaped by that, they start to directly quote Psalm 2, which is David, right? And they say that so much in verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain, etc., etc.? And that's verse 26. This, this psalm is about affirming that God is Lord. He is the king. He is enthroned in heaven. And he has established Israel's king, his anointed one. And in Psalm 2, which they're quoting, again, it's not by accident. They know, what they're, they know their scripture as well, right? In Psalm 2, the various leaders of the earth are conspiring against what God would do. They're trying to undo God's plan. But whatever they try to do, it doesn't work. God's providential plan carries forward anyway. And it's almost like the early church is realizing, hey, we're part of the same story. We've actually had people conspiring against God's plan. It just happened. Peter and John just got back from that happening. Look, we're living the story right now. It's our story. And not only that, but they're conspiring against the Lord and his anointed. And we know now that anointed is Jesus. And they realize that those that plot in vain, look at verse 27. Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, these are the ones that conspired against God's anointed, the holy servant Jesus, they say in verse 27. So do you see how they're taking Psalm 2, interpreting it in light of what Jesus has done, and then realizing we're living that same story. This is about us. This applies to us. And yet the plots of those that would seek to undo uh, get you know get in Jesus' way to silence him, or even to get in the way of the apostles and silence them, uh, can't be stopped. And they say in verse twenty-eight, these ones will do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. This is part of God's providential plan, and we recognize it. And so, so again, so just to summarize, first the the disciples pray in response to the opposition and the trouble that comes their way. Secondly, they pray Israel's scriptures. They interpret those scriptures in light of Jesus. They recall God's faithful character. They recall God's promises. And now comes the third part. They start to apply all of that to their own lives. And you can see it really clearly in the text. Look at verse 29. And now, and now, Lord, look upon their threat, their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So it's like all this is set up. God, you are sovereign and good. We know from, we know from, from Israel's scriptures, from Psalm 2, that there will be those who will try to get in the way of what you want to do, God, to silence your people, to silence your anointed one. And that won't work, but it's part of your providential plan. So in light of all that, we're seeing that happening in our own lives. And now, Lord, grant us 
boldness to speak is what they pray for. Now help us to live in light of all of that and in light of what's just happened in my life. So they know their, they know their scriptures well, and now the prayer moves from contemplating the past, contemplating God's promises to the present, and they ask God to consider the threats of their enemies and to grant them boldness to continue to preach the gospel or to speak the word. They apply the truth of scriptures to their present situation. I can think often of, of prayer meetings where uh, there's different ones who pray and, and just recall. I don't know if you know different ones like this in your own life, but there's just a, a recollection of key scriptures, of specific promises. And so often they apply to whatever we're praying about, right? It's almost like there's this repertoire in some people's lives of where they've memorized scripture and then those scriptures kind of come up depending on the situation lord if it's if it's a situation asking for wisdom or direction uh you know it's well man plans his ways but the lord directs his steps right there's these moments like that um where where there's a, a recollection of scripture and then applying it to our present lives and that's what that's what they're doing here right they pray for boldness. Let's, let's think about that for a minute. To speak God's word. To speak your word with boldness, it says in verse 29. Not, not just to speak their words, but to make sure they're speaking God's word, right? The word inspired by the Spirit. Uh, the word that, that sets people free, right? But also the word that will offend people. Uh, to say that you are a sinner and need, and need Jesus as your Savior is offensive, because it implies that you are not perfect and right just in yourself. You need saving. You need someone from outside of you to come and set things right. And you can't achieve that on your own. And that's offensive. That is, that's off-putting to many. It's interesting, too, if you think back to that connection to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, when he was praying uh, for God to intervene in his situation, he prayed for the destruction of his enemies God, would you wipe out that army over there? Because I don't really like it. But in this case, the disciples don't pray for the Sadducees or the temple guard to just get wiped out. <laughs> I, I might pray that way, but they don't, right? They pray for boldness to continue to speak the word. And I think underneath that, there's a, there's a recognition that the word of God's grace applies even to our enemies, Right? Not just to those that are kind of willing to hear. They pray for signs and wonders to accompany so that many will come to faith. And we've talked about that a couple times throughout Acts quite often. When there's signs and wonders, Peter uses that opportunity uh, to preach the gospel. The signs and wonders get people's attention, but they don't ultimately lead to faith. As Peter or whoever is preaching, they preach the repentance. Repeach, uh, they, they preach faith in Jesus and as the signs and wonders get people's attention, they then hear the word and they respond. Um, and so both work together, both the clear preaching of the word, but also the signs and wonders to work together, right? And so they ask God to respond. They ask God for boldness. And uh, God affirms that. God affirms that. Verse 31, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's an assurance that the Spirit's 
alive and at work within them. Like Pentecost has already happened, but it's like a fresh infilling of the Spirit. I think that's helpful language for us because sometimes as Pentecostals we can we can really emphasize sort of an initial baptism of the Spirit, and that's perfectly, you know, right and fine to do. But as you read through Acts, it, it's quite clear that there are moments where the Spirit comes and there's sort of a fresh outpouring or a fresh provision of the Spirit for that moment. And I think that's really healthy and helpful for us to think about too. And it also relates back to, to what Paul says in later parts about being filled keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not like I just got filled up and now I'm good, right? It's like, no, I need, the, I need the Spirit's constant refreshing in my life, a constant uh, re, refilling, you might say, in my life, a fresh provision. And so the disciples face real opposition, and then the Spirit comes with assurance and comfort. It's part of the Spirit's work is comfort. You can imagine they were probably a little bit shook up from it all, Right? So what can we say about these things for our own lives of prayer? Again, first, the church, when faced with difficulty and conflict, they turn to God, and so should we. Second thing, the church, they pray their scriptures carefully in light of Jesus, in light of the cross, and so too should we. Thirdly, they learn to apply the scripture to their own situation to see that they're part of god's story and so can we that this story is our story too and it says god worked in the past he's working in us in the present and fourth the church prays for god to move in their lives and equip them to respond appropriately equip them to live out the mission that he's called them to they don't try and do it on their own right they recognize they need god's help to live as christians they don't just can't just sort of muster up their own strength they pray for God to move in their lives and equip them to respond, and so too can we. And just as we wrap this up, I wanted to I wanted to make just one more short note. There's something else that I think we need to be reminded of, and I like in Tom Wright's commentary in Acts, he talks about this. He says, though the disciples struggle with actual officials, you know, the actual guys that show up to stop them, there's also a spiritual battle, Right? There's also a spiritual battle. We struggle with the spirit of the age. And there's also an internal battle sometimes, isn't there? We can struggle internally to know how to live our lives as Christians, to know what to do. And there's a struggle there with our own selves. But Tom Wright says this. He says, whatever the struggle, whether it's political or spiritual or internal, that struggle is very real. That struggle is real. And it's okay to identify that sometimes we struggle to live that out but there's such hope and encouragement for us to turn to god and to receive from him the life and the hope and the assurance that we need to to live faithfully for him uh, in the time in which we live right thankfully the boldness and the courage that we need in our lives uh, is not like i said found in sort of mustering it up on our own strength but it comes from a faithful reliance on jesus and one of the ways we can foster that reliance on Jesus is through prayer, and through learning to give ourselves to him. So may we all receive the Spirit afresh in our lives. May we be people of loving and intentional witness to the saving work of Jesus. May we respond to trouble by seeking the Lord, by meditating on his word, 
by recognizing his promises and his power for the present situation and knowing that God does indeed intervene in our lives. Amen? Let's pray together, and then we'll come to the table. Lord, we thank you that uh, in the midst of difficulty and, and struggle in our own lives, that you are so faithful and good to us. Lord, we thank you for your word and just the example this morning from Acts of how uh, the disciples, Lord, turn to you in the moment where they are struggling, where they're seeking to know what to do. And Lord, we, we just recognize there's times where we haven't done that, Father, and we just repent. Lord, there's times we've tried to, to live our lives as though you weren't real, where we've tried to lead or tried to know what to do in a situation, and we've just kind of ignored you. And so, Lord, this morning we repent of that, and we just pray, Jesus, that wherever your people are this morning, whatever's going on in the lives of each one here in this room, Lord, we thank you that you are present and faithful to come with your assurance and your comfort and your grace today. Lord, we thank you that we can turn to you in prayer and that you, you know the details of our lives. And Lord, we thank you for your word, which is such a, a deposit of your truth and reminders of your promise. Lord, a reminder that this story is our story too. Lord, would you help us to turn to you in time of need uh, to, Lord, foster a habit of prayer and scripture so that when trouble comes, there is a habit there that we can lean into to follow you. And Lord, as we come to this table this morning, we pray that you would prepare our hearts, recognizing afresh, Lord, that it's through this meal that we remember and celebrate all that you've done for us. That this is what sustains us, Lord, your life given for us. We ask this in your name. Amen.